Okay, here we go. Nice and quiet. Sound speeds, camera rolling. Holding for sound. Last looks. Calling for last looks. And set and action. I need to swap batteries. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I am Ulrich Brissell. I am the founding host of the podcast. I've been crewing up on sets for over 10 years. I've worked on dozens of films, shorts and features, uh, even as a producer or a director sometimes. And I'm also just finishing up my first feature film as a writer-director called The Alternate. I'm Liz Manischel. I'm a writer-director producer with two features under my belt, um, on which I was a writer-director and producer. I'm a former film critic and a current distribution consultant who used to manage the Creative Distribution Initiative at Sundance. And please check out my movie, Speed of Life, on Showtime. Um, In other news, this week we have writer-director Craig Moss to talk about his newest film, Let Us In, which is based on the Black Eyed Kids urban legend about a town visited by teenagers with black eyes who appear... um, who appear in the town as kids start disappearing. This film features Tobin Bell from the Saw franchise and was released on demand and digitally on July 2nd, 2021. Uh, so if you missed it over the holiday weekend, please check it out now. Craig talks about starting out in spoof movies, moving over to the trilogy of badass film starring Danny Trejo, a.k.a. Um, I think the Masked Singer's Raccoon. Um, I'm a big fan of Masked Singer. <laughs> um, and how it all led to him getting Let Us, uh, Let Us In made. Craig also talks about his process and how he's managed to provide for himself 100% through writing and directing. We are going to start with the interview, but don't go away afterwards because we've got I Get Shorty. Um, featuring my short film <laughs> in this, I made a short film before you, a few years ago called This is a Short We're Submitting to Film Festivals, and we did. Um, and Ulrich and our special guest Ritesh Mehta are going to speak about it, break it down, shit on it. They're going to shit all over it. Um, <laughs> and then afterwards, we have a brand new iTunes review to read. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Craig. Uh, Craig, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Um, just to dive right into it, let's let's get the pitch, the elevator pitch for Let Us In. Well, uh, just to let you guys know, it's inspired by a, an urban legend that, that we discovered online about these uh, creepy teenagers who wear hoods and have completely black eyes called the Black Eyed Kids. And they come over in your most vulnerable state, whether they knock on your front door or if you're parked in a car, they knock on your window and they ask you to let them in hence the title let us in the name of the film and so basically taking that that inspiration from that urban legend creating a story about a young 12 year old girl lives in a small town ostracized in this small town um, but suddenly all her friends are going missing so she kind of has to step up and save the day Mm. so that's sort of in a nutshell as we like to say um, the concept of the film (laughs) Uh, what, how many? Oh, go on, please. No, 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 go. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> um, how many days did you shoot? Uh, 14 days. It was it was a an epic movie. We had so much time, and <laughs> yeah, just like uh, it was unbelievable the amount of time we had to shoot this movie. Um, but yeah, no, 14, which I guess is now sort of you know a luxury, I guess, to some people. But it was very tight, and 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 you know, coupled with the kids because our cast is uh, comprised of kids so 
we had to navigate through their hours because kids don't have as much hours shooting time as adults and they have school time as well so that was another fun thing to deal with yeah like 14 days with mostly kids is more actually like 10 days or 11 days or something (laughs) um so uh if you can uh can you speak to the rough budget of the film well it was rough for sure (laughs) (laughs) Um, it, uh, you know, we, you know, lucky enough to get some, some financing for the movie and, uh, with the budget of where it was at, you know, obviously, um, we tried to keep the cast as contained as possible. We tried to keep the locations as contained as possible. Um, and, um, you know, it, some of it worked for the most part, some didn't, but, um, but we, we were lucky enough to, we had a great crew, um, a lot of great people associated with the movie to, to help make the film what it is. And, um, um, you know, we're, 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 we're happy the way it came out. And, and it's always, you know, as you guys know, it's, it's always the challenge to, to make these films in, in the lower budget bracket. But you're lucky to get the money to make these movies. And at the end of the day, you want to make the best you can make the film as possible. And I think with everyone that we had involved in, in this movie, I think, I think we did. And, and uh, it was a lot of, it was actually a lot of fun to, to make the film too. I enjoy the way you spun that question. Um, is there a way you could give us a range or like, um, or even <laughs> if you say under a million, that's, that's still helpful. It, okay. Okay. Uh, it was, it was under a million. Okay. Perfect. Um, thank you. <laughs> Our listeners would um, like be cranky at us if we didn't push you on that. I got it. Um, how long did you spend working on the film from inception of the idea till its release? Oh my goodness. Uh, every second. I mean, um, <laughs> you know, I was lucky enough to be a co-writer, a director and the producer on the film. And so I, you know, was involved in all aspects of it, which I loved. I mean, it was great because, you know, for me, traditionally, I've been sort of this director for hire or or I've written something and then direct it, but not so much the producer on it. Um, but this one, it was all hands on deck for me. And I was able to 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 do those three jobs, which take up so much time when when doing a film you know it's sort of like my baby and and um but it was great i mean i loved every minute of it and uh as i said it was it it proud i'm proud of the film and and um and it was a lot of fun to work on it um, so um, uh, yeah we got to push back on this one too. how many how many years like did you write it five years ago six years ago like when did you start oh, oh i'm sorry i misunderstand I, i'm sorry um, uh, yeah, no, that I can tell you. Um, we, so the, okay, no, we shot it in 2019. So what happened was the script was probably written in a month and then, um, literally this is, and by the way, this is, um, I think around uh, April of 2019, we got, we got into as you know, March of 2019, got into prep mid-April of 2019. Um, May start, End of May started shooting through June. And then um, we, in August, had some, some additional things we had to shoot uh, for a day. 
and then um, and then that was it. And then we, wow. we got we got caught up in in doing post mostly during COVID, so that we were able to make that happen through Wait, like Zoom and other ways. So just just to clarify, you wrote the movie in February, and then you shot it in you prep you start prepping in April. Yeah, basically. That's wow. amazing. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know it's unheard of, right? <laughs> We we it it sort of worked out because we were lucky enough to to get some financing for the film and uh, wow. before we were even able to write the screenplay for the most part. So it's <laughs> wow. it's not it's, I know it's unheard of and I've never had that ever happen before for them. Well, we did a trailer one time for a movie that I did uh, like a parody, and so we were able to to get the financing for it before the screenplay was written. But other than that, like it's yeah, I mean it is unheard of. Okay. Uh, how big was your crew? <laughs> uh, uh, we're a small crew. I, I, I think at the end of the, I mean, I don't number wise. I mean, I think we were, my goodness, I think we were in the forty area for everybody. I think it was. I think there were forty people that worked on this. Um. Um. But uh, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the people I've worked with on a, a lot of the other movies that I've done, so there's this you know um cohesion this cohesiveness with everybody and and uh we all know how each other works and so that that made it incredibly helpful um so you know they're but you know they these guys are great they're all all terrific and and as i said i mean you know when you work with people over and over again there's a shorthand and uh it definitely helped for this film we're doing it in 14 days Compared to all the other projects you've done, how difficult was this one? Very. <laughs> it was really difficult because, I mean, adding that like extra title to produce this movie was, it's tough because when you're, you know, if you, you have someone else that's on set that's sort of fielding all the producerial issues, that's one thing. But when it's you and then you're trying to direct at the same time, and then you've you've got you know you're managing time with kids and everything else. It's it it gets a little bit. It, it, there's a lot going on, and you know you liked it when you're directing, just being able to focus on directing. Uh, for this movie, wasn't wasn't the case, but um, it was you know became a little more challenging. But but you know we were able to to make that all work. But it was yeah, it was definitely a, a huge learning experience. Um, but, but uh, I'm, I'm, you know, being able to make it out of their life was was uh, a decent accomplishment for this film. Can you and then speak having, to having 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 I'm sorry, just having a movie that I really I'm proud of is it makes it even better. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, can you speak to why? I mean, you, why it was all hands on deck for you? Why you took the producing credit? Was it out of necessity, or were you did you want that? additional control like what were the sequences that led uh, to well that? i'm a i'm a i'm a control freak and so <laughs> you know i was doing crafty i did every i mean i did everything <laughs> transpo locations no um i i uh i wanted it i wanted to do it um you know that was something that you want for me uh, that you know ultimately being able to produce the stuff that i'm making just was something that you know, interested me. Um, it just, 
there, there just seemed to be more issues going on on this movie than stuff I've worked on in the past. So, you know, you, you never know what to expect when you, you get, you guys are filmmakers, so you know it's like when you're making a movie and anything can happen. And, and so you don't know, you can't brace yourself for certain things. And um, some things bigger than others, but, you know, but to answer your question, yeah, I mean, I, I, I asked for it, I wanted it, and, you know, in the end, it was it was great. So tell us a little bit about, like, how this magical thing happens where you land the financier before the script is written. Like, you know, just tell us the story of how that, I mean, you don't have to talk about, like, how you know the person necessarily, but I mean, I, I guess essentially that's sort of part of it, too, is, like, how did you find this financing and, and tell us that tale. Prostitution, a lot of it. Yeah. That yeah. was the way. So if you know, that's the tip for anyone that no, I um it, well what happened was because of the movies that I had done before, um, like the I did these uh, the movie called Badass and, and we were able to make um three of them. So we had the sequels and they did performed well and they were able to make money. Um, um I had uh, a financier based on that who was interested because because of that specifically, and so um, that helped a lot. It, I guess there was a little bit of you know these are lower budget movies and and you know, but I had a little bit of credibility going into it because of those movies, and so um, it was a, a leap of faith for them to do it, but. You know, they also wanted to be a part of the film business. And, and I think that's every filmmaker's dream is to meet someone that has money that wants to, you know, ultimately be a part of the business that wants to put their money into the business. Um, and that's few and far between. But but, you know, there's there's some people that have that passion or want to be involved in it. So to, to press that a little bit. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, like, you know, like did you did you just sit down with them over dinner and like pitch 10 different ideas of like different movies that you could do that would have like this the same kind of staying power or could potentially have the same kind of staying power as a badass or was it like no like this specific idea was the one that like you really believed in like you know how did that go yeah yeah no there was the sit down and it 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 was um um i don't think it was over i don't think it was over a meal but um we did sit down it was basically for the budget that they were willing to put up, what would make the most sense for that budget? And what genre would make the most sense? And then, you know, what could we do as far as like talent attachments to help sort of hedge that idea of being able to, to profit on the movie? And so, um, you know, this kind of being inspired by the, uh, the urban legend and then the cast that we put together helped kind of solidify that too and um but there was a trust factor and trusting me and you know and, um to be able to move forward and pick the right sort of genre and film to to make um and and at that point you know we were we were able to to get going with it um speaking to that so the origin was this urban legend but just judging from the trailer alone, there's a tone that reminds me and I think was pitched to us in these kind of like 1980s, like 
youth sci-fi fantasy films that were so much fun of of like when we were growing up um did it transform to that kind of like family film naturally or was your investor like okay urban legend that sounds scary but we need to target the family sector or like (laughs) like what happened there yeah 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 no um it was sort of the idea from the onset and and when having that initial conversation about financing a film it was you know this is the direction that we want to go in this is you know we want this younger cast and we want to the the whole idea was there's not a lot of these films out right now and these are movies that i love growing up and it felt like there was a void in this area and that this this film could potentially fill that and um so we sort of set out to make this type of film and that was sort of the idea from from the get-go um can you talk a little bit about your uh collaboration and your process of collaboration especially in the writing of the film like how how do you like to work with other writers i i like it um depending on the writer but um you know um for this film specifically joe and i we had a good situation where we you know would beat out the entire film develop it beat out the entire film and then um, once we got that beat sheet together then we would start writing the screenplay sending pages back and forth and then putting it together and then you know getting our screenplay um but i've had partners in the past on other things i had a partner for a long time when i first started you know we did a bunch of comedies that specs that we sold and um different you know similar collaboration um, and I've worked with other writers. I mean, it, it, it really, you know, it depends, but for me, I can't be in a room with a writer and write together on one computer. Like it doesn't, like, I can't, it that doesn't work for me. It has to be sort of like separate and then mm-hmm. share pages and come together. That's yeah. just my personal preference. I, you know. I want to, I don't, I, I do this a lot where I don't have the question, but I start talking. So I'm so sorry. Um, but <laughs> I'm looking at your CV, you know, I see the badass films and I see a lot of parody work and I'm curious. I mean, first of all, good for you. They're lucrative and you have this like prolific career. Is that where your love is or did you fall into that and get stuck or like what, what is this move that you're making? Um, did I have, you're saying, did I have love for the parody? Sure. Yeah. Like what? Yes. Sure. Yeah. I mean, look, comedy is, I, I've always been entrenched in comedy, um, parodies growing up. I also loved all, a lot of the parody films, Zucker Brothers, Airplane, films like that, like Mel Brooks, um, you know, always a big fan of Saturday Night Live throughout my entire life, but parodies, um, you know, what first setting out to be in this business, what what sort of launched the career was doing a parody of Saving Private Ryan called Saving Ryan's Privates. And it's not I didn't write it, uh, two other writers wrote it and I directed it. And it became this popular thing in Hollywood where with that short film I had written a comedy and that comedy was able to sell to a studio and then because of the short film I was able to be attached as a director. So from there, um, you know, I ultimately I was able to do these other parodies, which which I love. But you know, it, you sort of you get burned out a little bit on that. And I was lucky enough to transition into doing action comedy, the badass films, and 
you know, the, the films, thank goodness, did, did decently. We were able to make a, uh, some sequels to the film. And then I was lucky enough to transition to, to start doing these thrillers. And, and uh, so I've been fortunate to kind of go from one thing to the next and try different things. And, um, but I do love all the genres that I've been a part of. I really, I love, and, um, but right now, yeah, these, you know, the let us in genre that we've captured is um, something that I've really always wanted to do. And being able to do that was, was just great. I just loved it. Um, you know, speaking to the fact that you've, you know, written and directed a bunch of films and also directed, just directed only and not been a part of the writing in films. Do, do you have a, like, does your process change when you go from one to the other or is it kind of all the same? Like once you walk on set, set as a director, like w approaching your role? Um, it's always you're saying from my my material versus somebody else's material. Yeah, like do you, does that directing. does that change your way of directing, basically? Um, no, it doesn't. I mean, you know, some opportunity. I've given some opportunities on some of those films to rewrite some things, so um, um, just to to make it more director friendly. But um, but for the most part. Um, it is a there. There is a difference when it's your screenplay and you know exactly from page one to one hundred five or one ten, whatever it is, exactly how this thing is is because you already had it in your head and you put it on the page and now you're you're putting it on a camera. But when you're taking somebody else's material and then you're putting it on camera, it, there there is a little bit of a mind shift for sure. But but on being on set is is all you know. It, it becomes ultimately becomes the same in, in the way you, you know, how you're going to do things and, and how you're going to shoot the film. But, um, but I think initially there is that little bit of a, of a shifting from your own material to somebody else's material. Um, a lot of our listeners are emerging filmmakers who maybe haven't even gotten their first feature off the ground. And you you described your career as a, a, a little bit of a straight line, right? Like one thing has led to another, which has led to another. Uh, can you talk a little bit about things that have maybe bolstered um, uh, you jumping on these projects? Like, do you have representation? Did they, was it networking? What else can you attribute other, to, other than your lovely personality and talent? What else um, can you share in terms of giving advice to these emerging filmmakers? Um, I think having representation obviously is going to, to help, but you, you hit a key point. It is a lot of it is relationships too. I mean, relationships is to me, a bigger part of getting work than your agents or managers. Um, it, it's just the reality, you know, um, so I, yes, a lot of just meeting people within the business, um, being a part of other people's projects, um, you know, I think is, is such a great way to kind of get yourself out there and to meet people that will remember you or, 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 you know, get you going, um, with, with whatever it is you're trying to do, but also at the same time being proactive to kind of create your own thing. If you're wanting to be, 
a writer director, the best thing to do is to write yourself, you know, um, a short trailer of a movie that you want to do and shoot it. And with the hopes that you can send that out and then at the same time, you know, have someone believe in it for you to actually shoot that as a feature. Um, so that's always been a great way to, to get yourself into making a film, directing a film. So uh, you had quite the epic run of eight features coming out between 2012 and 2016, three of which all came out in 2016. Can you talk about how that ended up that way? I mean, you obviously didn't shoot them all within that eight year span. You probably shot earlier than that, but you know, that's a lot of work to happen in a short amount of time. So was that just like a lot of saying yes to things like working with different studios? Like tell, tell us this, talk this. Yeah, this. <laughs> I was that, it was exactly what you're saying, saying yes to everything. You know, I mean, I think, um, um, a lot of, a couple of those movies were short periods of time. Like we, um, um, you know, I think there were two of them that we did that were shooting schedule, I think was like 14 days with a prep of a couple of weeks or three weeks. So they were, they were churning it out pretty quickly. Also obviously very you know, lower budget stuff. Um, and then one of which, um, the Charnel House specifically was something um, we, I think we had closer to 19 days on that film. Um, but that was more of a traditional, we shot that in Ohio. We had a longer prep period. The budget was higher on that one. Um, so being able to mix one of those with a couple of like the short, quick turnaround movies, it, it, it you know, it's done in a shorter amount of time than, than you would think when you look at three films. So that's that sort of went down what went down with those but uh it was it was a good that was a busy time for sure get ready for another uncomfortable question how do you sustain your lifestyle is it entirely on filmmaking is are, are you how do you live i did mention prostitution i sorry you're right i should have just taken that at face value <laughs> Uh, yes, I'm fortunate enough to do these films that, that I do and also through, through writing to um, to sustain that. I mean, you know, as a writer and a director, it, that's the, the toughest part. It's like the being able to consistently work, like, you know, to the point where you're able to pay bills and, you know, do do those things where you can take care of your family, you know, and, and so, um, you never know this business. I mean, there's so much insecurity and, and, and it's unstable and, but you just, you know, you said it, it's saying yes to a lot of things, you know, and, and so that at the end of the day, it's like, you just, you go out and, and try to, to work as much as possible. And, and at the same time, try to do things that you, you are passionate about that you want to do too. Um, so there's that kind of balancing both those things at the same time. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, speaking to, uh, the question about, you know, that, that period of time where you're working on all these movies all at once. Um, and then knowing that you didn't start working on, uh, let us in, um, until 2019. Um, what was happening in that gap between 2016 and 2019? Was that just a bunch of like, you know, false starts that didn't go up, get off the ground? Or did you specifically take a break during that time? Like, what was happening there? So a lot of uh, writing assignments during that time. I was lucky enough to, like, do rewrites and um, 
some pitches that I sold. I mean, that's the good thing about being a writer director is that when you're not shooting, you're able to write. And, um, you know, um, that was a time where yeah, I, was, I was shooting a lot of things and I was lucky enough that, as, you know, certain things were coming in for me to do, um, which was able to occupy my time during that. And then I got to the point after that, we like, okay, I'm ready to, I want to, I really want to direct and get back into, you know, making film again, as opposed to being isolated in a room and on your computer. Nice. Um, we never, we didn't even asked. Did you go to film school? Like it, this short that you made that kind of launched everything. Did it come out of a film school program or was it just like one day you're like, fuck it, I'm going to do it. Uh, you know, I tried, I applied. <clears throat> I went to UCLA undergrad, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> they had a weird thing where like you would, <clears throat> you would apply to um, film school junior year, <clears throat> but I didn't get in. And then um, after graduating, I applied to AFI, American Film Institute. Didn't get into that either. And so um, I said, "Screw it! I'm, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do short films, and I'm gonna put the money that I was gonna put towards school and just learn it myself." And so started doing short films. And then I did a, a one film that did the film festival thing, and and then yeah, so it kind of happened that way just kind of learning through the process, which was great, which worked for me. Um, just curious, like how many shorts did you make before you had the one that went through the film festivals and kind of got you some attention? Um, I did, let me think. Uh, I, okay, so I, I, okay, take a step back. I went to my junior year of college, I went to USC for this little summer film program where we did a bunch of these video movies. I essayed for that program. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I mean, not at the same time, but yeah. Did, did you? Okay. Yeah. So you did these little videos and there was no audio. You would put like a soundtrack, you put a track on it and you would shoot it. And so we did like four of those on video, whatever. But then when I graduated college, I did the first film on film. We shot it on 16 millimeter and I bit off more than I could chew because it was like a 32 minute short film, which is probably <laughs> the stupidest thing I could have ever done. And we would edit it on the flatbeds in, a, in my friend's garage. And um, I know a lot of the youngsters are like, what the hell is a flatbed? <laughs> uh, but <clears throat> it was an amazing experience being able to cut with that way. But regardless, I shot that film which was horrible, but anyway, but I learned from that. And then the next film I did, it was like a seven minute film. We shot it on 16 millimeter as well. And that went into festivals. And then mm -hmm. I kind of figured out like what the length was, what you need to do, how, you know, so it took, it took, you know, that one horrible film to figure it out. Wow. That's nice. Some of us are still learning. Yeah, exactly. Right. Six, six, six shorts until a feature. It's like, okay, goddamn. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's crazy, like, figuring it out. It's not, it's not easy at all. Uh, I'm ready for Final Five. What about you all, Rick? Um, I, I, I'm just curious. Like, you know, for someone who's had such a successful career, you know, you, you've got the, the directing, you know, opportunities. You have the writing opportunities. Like you're making your living doing the thing you love. It's a beautiful thing. It's amazing. What is next? Like what what is the thing that like you want to tackle 
with your career that you have yet to do? Um, I mean, there's a lot. And, and I think the main thing for me is what I did with Let Us In, being able to do these films, produce them, write and direct them, do it that way um, was was uh, as much as it was a little more a little more on my plate. I think that that's the direction I want to continue down. So um, you know, there's stuff I've written that 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 I'm hoping to to make those films and um, you know continue on doing this. I mean, we're making making movies. I mean, you know, it's they're like you guys know and like the name of the podcast. They're hard to make. And so if you're, you're able to make them, I mean, it's the great, it is the greatest thing in the world. It really is. I mean, there's nothing else I'd rather do than to make film. Awesome. All right. In terms of the first question of our final five, you already spoke to it a little bit. So acknowledging that what's the first film you ever made and how do you feel about it now? <laughs> um, uh, it's horrible. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a piece of crap, but you know, I mean, when I look at it, you, you sort of, it's, it's heartwarming to, to, you remember what you were doing when you were making that film and what was going on and what you were thinking and think, Oh, this is going to be it. This is going to be the movie that's going to get me on the map and you know, how naive and overly excited you are about it. But, but at the same time, it's a great learning experience and you figure things out when you make shitty films. So. And what's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? Um, early on, the best advice I got was if you want to direct, you need to learn how to write. And that was the best advice I got because at the end of the day, when you're writing a screenplay, you're going to have, if you want to do, you want to direct something, you have more control over something that you write. And so that also helped me have an additional career because in my, in my mind, it was, oh, I'm going to be a director, I'm going to be a director. But having this writing thing was able to, I was able to make a living and I was able to, you know, get things pushed along quicker and which led to directing. Um, so yeah, that was, that was definitely the best advice I got. We spoke to future projects, but do you have a specific goal as a filmmaker? Like, is it an Oscar? Is it a certain budget level? What's something you're chasing that's very specific in terms of your goal? Um, uh, you know, I think, would it be nice, yes, to have a higher budget on, on films? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's the, it's it's the, the the thing where you have more time, and I know there's more headaches with higher budgets. But at the end of the day, it would be nice. I think the goal would be to shoot some films of, of a higher budget. I, I definitely think, you know, and as far as an Oscar, I mean, you know, the bottom line is, I, I for me, I feel like if if films are well received, having uh, look, getting an Oscar is amazing. It just it you know, it's just so. I, I think for me, I would settle for films that achieve people embrace your film and that you're able to, um, that people like the film and, and a lot of people have seen the film and, um, which I guess translates to success to the film. So you can go ahead and make other movies, um, 
that I guess that's sort of the the ultimate thing. If you could go back in time, what's the one piece of advice you would give yourself? Um, go into the carpet business. <laughs> Because <laughs> everybody needs carpet, right? I mean, for the most part, if you think about it. Um, I would say don't make a 32-minute short. Keep that thing down to like, you know, less than seven minutes. Like keep, keep it keep it, keep it short and concise. And like I said before, have an open-ended short so it can ultimately be translated into a feature. So you have, there's something that you're spending money on that you could ultimately send out that could be made into a feature film when they could see your work at the same time. Final question, is making movies hard? <laughs> yes, it is the most difficult thing to do. People don't understand that, but it is the, I mean, I, look, I'm sure brain surgery is a little tougher, but at the end of the day, like making a movie is so freaking hard. It is, but uh, if you're, you know, like if you're passionate about it, you love it, you, you gotta keep on course. It'll, if you're persistent, it'll happen. Amazing. So, uh, where should people go to watch uh, "Let Us In"? Fandango, um, um, Apple TV, Direct TV. Uh, I think it's. I think I want to say Roku. I want to say iTunes, Google Play. Uh, I think it's it's I think it's everywhere on demand. So your your publicist rep your your rep is online. Sam, tell us tell us everywhere. Thank you. Uh, yes, it'll be released on digital uh, and on demand July second. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, July I'm sorry. Second. I oh, I didn't give a date. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, I I, I thought. <laughs> Thank you, Sam. Thank you. We've never done that. That's actually really smart. We should do that all the time. But the funny thing is I've had like four interviews before this and I've been able to, to tell the date and for whatever reason I, I didn't. So I apologize. Yes. We, we oppressed you. You're saying we oppressed you to such a degree that you. You really have. Just blown. You really yeah. have. That's, that's what I'm reading. Yeah. Thank you for coming on the show. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, guys. Great meeting you. You too. You too. Take care. <laughs> Bye. What do you remember from our conversation with Craig? Uh, I remember that Craig was very interesting. Um, he felt like a comedy person talking to him, which makes sense because he is one. Um, but yeah, no, I, I thought it was interesting that he had started with the spoof movies um, and then kind of gone into, you know, these action movies. And now he's like, it's clear that he's trying to like up towards another type of level up towards another type of movie, I guess. And I think Let Us In is definitely that for sure. Like, it seems like it's got a bigger budget than the other films, um, you know, and then it also, uh, you know, seems to have a, a, sl a very different tone than his other work, you know. Um, and we didn't get sent a link before, so I couldn't even watch it, but I watched the trailer. It looked interesting. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, and what else I remember from Craig? Yeah, he, he was very honest, very straightforward, but I don't feel like we really got a lot of juice from him. That's you exactly know. what I was thinking. We didn't get to know him <laughs> at all. Like, uh, we didn't yeah. crack through that veneer one bit. No, he was very much about business. He didn't really get into any of his real feelings. He didn't open up about how he felt about spoof movies or felt about his earlier work. He just kind of presented it all matter-of-factly, um, 
which is fine. I mean, whatever. You know, I think there's some good tidbits in there. But, I mean, we didn't like Timothy Plain would be um, um, puking in his coffee if he listened to this episode because we didn't get to any <laughs> emotional resonance of any kind, which is like, you know, Timothy's goal or what well, his goal used to be on the show. I so. didn't know that. I love that. I was thinking we have made two people cry at the very least. I think maybe three, but two. S.J. Chiro yeah. cried. And then Myron Kirstein, I was re-listening to the episode, and he got emotional, too. So yeah, he did. maybe I could, um, like, take on the, what is it? Take on the, carry the banner for Timothy and try to get more people to cry. You do t- tend to ask the more Timothy-esque questions yeah. uh, out of the two of us. I mean, I, I sometimes will go there in, in honor of Timothy, but uh, you, you kind of naturally do. So that's why... I think it's good. People who used to listen to the podcast probably recognize that. Hopefully. Who knows? Um, But yeah, let us know what you guys think of the conversation with Craig. Was this a good one? Uh, Not so good? Let us know. (laughs) I'm all about honesty, as you can tell, Liz. Um, But guess what? I think uh, get shorty, Liz. So you make movies, huh? I produce feature motion pictures. I got an idea for a movie. This week, just like last week, we are also digging into the archives and we're going to talk about Liz's short film, This is a Short We're Submitting to Film Festival. So here is Liz in a pre-recorded part that I didn't have anything to do with, you know, to talk about her film. Hi, uh, I'm Liz Manischel and I'm the writer director of This is a Short We're Submitting to Film Festivals. And I'm answering these questions for the first time about my short. So why did you make a short versus any other medium? I was working at Sundance and Anne Dowd got cast in the second season. She was returning in the second season of Handmaid's Tale. And her her rep said to me, and we were negotiating and we never get, got a clear answer um, whether she was in, in the film, going to be in the film or not. Um, and her rep said to me, if you wait eight months, she'll do it. And the eight months was eight months to shoot Handmaid's Tale season two. And I said, yeah, (laughs) wait eight months. And I've noticed this in my career when I'm um, gearing up intellectually or emotionally to make something and something happens, it gets delayed. I still have this like pent up energy. And so I use that to make a short. And so what I did is I took the kernel of the idea, which was a short about film festivals and I turned it into a musical and I worked with this amazing guy Robert Hill who I know from film school and I'd worked with him in the past he wrote the song he wrote the lyrics we recorded in his house or his apartment and um and I cast an actress who was non-union but maybe SAG eligible so it was not a SAG production and I just asked friends who were willing to dance on camera. And I found a volunteer choreographer and we shot it all at a high school that let me shoot there for free. So I made a short because I felt creatively frustrated that I wasn't able to make my second feature, which I eventually went on to do eight months later. That was really the only reason. It wasn't to build audiences. It wasn't to test something out. It was like, I want to make something. I got to do it. What can I do? Oh, a musical would be fun. Let's do this. This is the idea that's at the top of my mind. Why this story? 
though I worked at Sundance and I work in artist support, I tend to be quite cynical about the system and the way the industry works. And I thought it would be fun to do something tongue in cheek about film festivals. I made a short in film school called Rhoda and Johnny Go to the Park. And it's literally about two actors filming a scene in a park. It's very self-referential. Um, I made a short in film school called this film is a metaphor for, for Vietnam. Uh, point being, like, the title was supposed to be silly. Um, before making the short, what did you think would happen to your career because of it? What did end up happening? You know, I had a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of faith in this short. And I told everyone, you know, I was going to apply everywhere. And then by the time we finished, we were in pre-production for the feature. And... I didn't get it out into the world the way I should have, the way I know I could have. And it wasn't until just like a few months ago that I put it online without a password for anyone. Uh, I thought it would help build a little bit more energy around my career. And what did end up happening was, was nothing. We got into five out of 12 film festivals that we submitted to. Most of them I, were, I was alumni of. Now that it's out in the world, what purpose does it serve? You know, it's barely out into the world. I think I posted it on Facebook once and I shared it on my newsletter once. The purpose it serves for me is like a tongue-in-cheek, rough-around-the-edges project. I mean, I could tell you everything that's wrong with it and I'm happy to. It reflects my sense of humor. I'm proud of it because my husband is in it and he sings. And you know what? The purpose it serves is that like constantly my parents will talk about Sean, my husband's great singing voice. That's the purpose it serves. And that's the other thing is that I wanted to do something for Sean. I wanted to make this short film for Sean to reflect his talent. Uh, would I do anything differently? Yeah, I would promote it. I'd promote it a hell of a lot more. Maybe even send it to nonprofits and say like, this is a fun tongue-in-cheek thing you could put before your film festival if you want you you know it could play at parties I don't know I think there actually is utility for it that's what it is it's supposed to just reflect our experience I think those are all the questions <laughs> I wrote them so I feel like I should know uh, but I'm aware of what it is but I appreciate it for what it is and I think um, just a shout out to the amazing cast and crew that I got to work with James Blythe um, shot it and edited it and Allie sure my best friend is the girl playing drums and playing guitar and um, Sean my husband is this is the film festival spirit and Som Kapila is this amazing actress that I've gotten to know because of and she plays the lead and you can see a lot of my friends in the background doing the dance and that was really fun so uh, I hope that someone at least laughs so, Ritesh, welcome to the show again. Uh, good to have you back. Um, just in case people missed your last episode where you talked about my movie, uh, can you give us your one-minute bio so people can learn a little bit more about you? Sure. Uh, well, thanks for having me again. I really appreciate it. And this is fairly, fairly enjoyable. Um, I am, I've been in Los Angeles for 12 years. Uh, I met Liz. Uh, well, I didn't, met, I didn't meet Liz until six years ago, but we have common... Um, Actually, maybe all three of us, we all went to USC for grad school. 
Um, and I was in the Annenberg program. I was in the PhD program and I was doing my dissertation on student filmmakers uh, and their professionalization through, um, through film school. And that's how I kind of got on set uh, researching uh, the filmmaking. And that's when I realized that my love for films extended to just watching films that also I was interested in the making of the development. So after I graduated, I didn't go the academic route. Instead, I've been working in uh, film and television development uh, in Los Angeles, but also actually more in focus uh, film festivals. I'm currently the senior programmer at the Indian Film Festival of Los Angeles, but I also, um, you know, I'm the assistant programmer at Outfest and that um, I've also worked with AFI Fest and a few other festivals. And I also occasionally contribute to Movie Maker Magazine. Um, so yeah, that's my background. <laughs> I'm not a filmmaker, I should say that. I like working with filmmakers. But you're like a film expert and like a totally well-versed person in reading and understanding cinema. So I think you're you're perfect for this. Um, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and put you on the hot spot. Uh, Ritesh, what did you think of uh, Liz's film? Uh, I, I, you know, I thought it was very on brand for Liz. <laughs> I, I'm always <laughs> looking for um, uh, context in terms of like, what um like a lot of my film watching is for festivals so for me i know that as a programmer i'm looking at like submit you know folks who are trying to get their film played at our festival so that's like you know you always watch with a certain amount of um seriousness but you're also paying attention to everything else um, like, like you know you're watching one short film and context of the other many others that you're watching so for me this was like just watching it out of the blue so like content that you just watch randomly and but, but because I knew it was Liz's uh, film um, and also I, I on on the YouTube I saw the on the on the, on the description I just like going in and she was calling it a self-referential musical about a female filmmaker submitting to a submitting to a festival made by a former Sundance staffer who had a months-long delay during the pushback of the feature so I thought I, I, that was the context that I was seeing it with that she just was, uh, you know, frustrated by this pushback, uh, not, not, not pushback, uh, this delay uh, to the filmmaking of a feature. So she just wanted to make something. And she also wanted to express her very, uh, like her many and you know, overall ambivalent uh, stance towards film festivals. As a programmer, I was really interested. I thought like very tongue in cheek and, um, <laughs> Oh, I saw that like the dancers were also the programmers and that was hilarious. Mm -hmm. uh, I've never thought of myself in that thing. I was never imagining myself in the choreography, like, oh, this is how programmers are behaving. Is that how it works? <laughs> I thought the singing was good. I liked the music overall, but the actual dancing didn't work for me too much, I don't think, because it was slightly distracting. It wasn't particularly, it, I, I didn't know what it was saying. I, it, like if I have to look at the storytelling being told via the dancing, I don't think I was getting much out of it. So it was actually distracting me. Um, and I was like, I'd rather, I wanted to focus more on just the two characters. And um, I, I will say that I like the overall lo-fi nature of it, the fact that it was made during, um, again, this is the context that I got. So if I didn't have this context, I would <laughs> probably be a little bit harsher, but like the fact that the whole thing was made during one day and that was the way Lizette envisioned it. Um, for me, that worked uh, and it was consistent through the production value. So I kind of enjoyed that part. I liked how it started with the close up of the, on the filmmaker. I wanted more than this, just the submit button. Like when we see her looking at the laptop, like I thought 
that could have, you know, if, if you're if you're making a submit button, then also just give me a little bit more so that I know that what you're submitting to, even though I know that you're submitting to <laughs> film festival, it just felt a little bit bland in that sense. And that's like one of my larger comments is that um, I enjoyed the musical aspect of it and the fact that you wanted to make this a musical, but um, the world building, so to speak, was unclear to me in many ways. And I, I was curious about, the, and I also wanted to know what you think about like the film uh, festival expert character, um, because like, in terms of like, you're, you're, you're done with your film and you're submitting to a festival, so is that why you hire an expert? Most, you know, most independent filmmakers don't typically hire experts. So I was curious about like what the expert was doing. I was mm -hmm. expecting, if you told me about the concept, I would have expected a programmer to be one of the main characters uh, rather than a film festival expert. So it was, I wasn't sure what the correlate was in the real world um, for that expert character, even though the lyrics that they were singing, I mean, like, I, I thought the lyrics were great. Like throughout, I enjoyed the lyrics, but I wasn't clear about what the expert character was doing there. Um, and um, the program was also, Ultimately, throughout, I wasn't sure about the process because she pressed <laughs> submit and then there's the waiting period and the, 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 the shot of the program I was watching was hilarious, like right yeah. before you break into song. Like I wanted a little bit more of that. Like they, I think she could have rushed, uh, not rushed so fast into the choreography and they just given me a little bit more of, a, of, of the setup. And... Um, then like the interpretation of the, like, the dance, like if the programmers were the dancers, and again, I didn't know this until I read the credits at the bottom. So <laughs> maybe I'm reading, I'm paying too much attention to that context instead of paying attention to what the film is saying, but the dancers just, and I mean, I think she could have done with like three or four fewer dancers and it would have been made for a cleaner, um, cleaner, uh, you know, stage, but also like, the costumes, I mean, I don't know what they were representing. So it all felt a little generic. <laughs> like if, right. if the dancers were like, you know, they, they could, if you want to make something lo-fi, maybe like give them a placard to hold or something, just create, create a sign. Maybe they're wearing coordinated clothing. I, I don't know what they were standing for. So that I was mm -hmm. just, I was just saying distracted by that. Um, and then again, all that points to like the world building. I don't know what the process, but at some point the film gets in because they, she's holding, um, she's holding some little tiny award thing. Like, so I assume that the film got into the festival, and then we move to um, being at the festival, and like, some of the lines were just really funny. Like, um, <laughs> like in the earlier part of the process, um, like they're talking about competition. So like, one film got in because it belonged to the head programmer's niece. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then like the lyric right before that, when she says your pitch better have some heat, again, like that kind of threw me off in terms of the world, because in festivals, we don't think of the pitch. We don't, we, we don't talk <laughs> about, uh, oh, what's the film's pitch? That's something at the ideation stage, that's something that happens in the filmmaking part. When you, or maybe you kind of talk about the pitch to the sales agent after your festival run or during your festival run. Well, I think they were talking about like the log line that you have to put on Film Freeway or whatever, or your like little thing. And, and I guess that just goes to show that, you know, people don't really read those. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as a programmer, I don't really, I, I, I read the log line for this short um, because I didn't, I wanted some context, but otherwise we don't really read the log lines until after. I don't at least read the log lines. 
after mm-hmm. until after I've watched the film. You don't kind of want to go in blind, um, mm-hmm. going with that context. Um, right. So right. yeah, and I thought like you know like there were my there were clear milestones she was trying to hit. So like I enjoyed vaguely defined festival success. Like when everyone's singing that, that was a clear milestone that she was hitting. Um, and then like smaller things like um, so it's it's a world premiere. No, it's your Southeast Texas weekday afternoon premiere. Right, <laughs> right, that right. Funny. that's funny. Um, yeah. So, and at the end, like when the lyrics said "win or lose" might be anyone's guess. Again, I wasn't sure what was the winning or the losing. Um, is it the audience award at the festival? Maybe I'm just watching it too much from a festival program. No, I mean to me that was like you know what does it mean to have festival success? Like, it's such a, an ambiguous idea and concept. It's like, unless you win the award, like, what is a successful full film festival run? Like, what's a successful film festival screening, right? You know, it's it's like, you put up all of the, the signs, you, you hand out the postcards, but like, what does it all mean in the end? You know, like, does, like, how do you know if you're actually doing the right thing? Like, you don't, you just do it because that's what you're supposed to do, you know? Um, so I kind of, I, I, that worked for me, but, um, but yeah, I, I see what you're saying. So, um, overall I thought the score music was well done and very clever. Like you said, like, I agree, like I liked the writing. I thought it was really good. Um, I thought the performances of the two leads were really solid. Uh, and I, I felt connected to them. Um, also I, I know Sean and I didn't know that he could sing. So that's amazing. <laughs> I was blown away by that. Yeah. The singing was very good and I got to see Sean for the first time. So. I was happy about that. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I, I really appreciated that they really made it a true musical. Like they didn't like just have a lot of talking in a couple songs or a couple lines. Like they actually committed to like having it be a musical. And so if you're going to call something a musical, it should be a musical. And it was. And I feel like a lot of times, like even with La La Land, like people call La La Land a musical and that's like a half a musical. It's not really a musical. Um, so I appreciated that. Um, but I, uh, I did think the concept overall was cool, like doing it on the stage and having it all be representative of, of like different, you know, these different stages of, of going through a film festival through submitting and all that stuff. But I think it really suffered from a lack of props and set dressing and overall design, you know, because like in order for that to work really well, like you really want to feel that you're bringing in this, these different parts of the world and you're really visualizing it well. And I felt like just because, you know, with, with a lack of resources, a lack of time, like they, they weren't really able to, to do that to, to the best extent, you know, like they, they only had like one real, um, you know, like set change with just the streamers, you know, at the end. And uh, they had like maybe five or six props at most, you know, and they were really minimal. And I feel like if you're going to go with that concept, like you really want to maximize it. You really want to like overdo it, really get really fun and creative with the different things you could do um, with the set and with the props and with the actors and with wardrobe changes and with all these things to really immerse yourself within this concept like on the stage. Um, I think what I would have preferred overall is if they would have just gone on, on location and then they wouldn't have hamstrung themselves into just the stage and they would have just taken the same kind of choreography and the same sort of concept and done it almost exactly the same as it did on stage, but in live locations. And I think it would have been a lot more powerful because like, I totally agree with you. Like the choreography, like was a little, 
lackluster and there were a lot of dancers not really doing a lot you know like when they're just shaking like this or whatever for like you know a whole beat it's just like that's just not enough really um to to warrant them being there uh so if you are going to have dancers and you are going to do it on a stage like make it really impressive because you are you know hamstrung to this one location like you can do a lot more with your dancers and um you know make it more impressive but if you aren't going to have impressive choreography like put it in an interesting background so like we can really you know like it just makes it more enjoyable more dynamic more interesting um so i think kind of they would have should have gone either way right they should either push the the stage side of it like super strong and really lean in heavy with like props and set dressing and just really going nuts with it or take the what they did as far as like the design and the um you know the dancing and everything and then just put that in real life locations and i think either one of those um approaches would have been a lot stronger i think yeah no those are um, all great points and i agree with you the one the other one other point i wanted to make was um i thought that like since we started with the submissions and like how how worried the filmmakers about getting a, uh, getting their film into a festival i was missing like the oh i got in and like the joyous kind of like the mirror beat of like getting in um i think we kind of directly got into the world premiere actually being like the like with a set change i, I just wanted right. a little bit of a payoff to that beat or uh, the excitement of getting in and then again so if you want to hit the beats like i'm a little skeptical and sad and scary uh i mean i'm scared and then the joy and then the ambivalence so those would have been like because like the very mm-hmm. last lyric is about still not sure what it means to be you know to have a, like to have a successful festival run so the middle would have been like the middle beat the, the middle emotion could have been a bit of fleshed out and that would have also given me a clearer idea about the relationship between the expert and the and the filmmaker yeah that's interesting yeah i i think it's it's fine like for me like the expert thing didn't really bother me too much because it's just like this is the voice of god so to speak to like show us like you know talk us through what a festival is and what all the steps of the festival is so yeah would it have been more appropriate if that character was a programmer you know or a head of a festival or something probably but you know just that they were like a you know random vague film festival expert uh, that's okay. although at the same time like i thought sean um like sean did a great job and i think the lyrics was pretty specific throughout uh for what the characters were saying in the moment i just thought i guess from speaking as a programmer i was looking for what i think the pro- the steps should be but it was also interesting to see that this is how filmmakers feel they don't really pay attention to all the steps necessarily and you know they're they're feeling they feel more subjective and unclear about it which is also interesting to me to see so that that was kind of curious uh, cool to see overall yeah yeah no totally and i feel like a lot of filmmakers don't even know a lot of the stuff that's in that short so it's kind of like if you haven't really submitted to short f- to film festivals or you haven't really gone through the process you could watch this and sort of get like a, a quick uh, four minute um you know crash course and <laughs> all the things that you should be doing uh when you're submitting to a film festival um but yeah no i don't know there's, there's a lot to lack about it really but i mean i feel like yeah you, i don't know just really want a little bit more how irreverent it was when this all this left the stage <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was really that was that was funny i like that touch so in a way like i think uh liz did well with um like, I, i don't know what that was written in but i i liked like it kind of went with the low like the lo-fi aesthetic and the form um was matching how 
the characters weren't taking themselves too seriously also. So I enjoyed that part. There was a good, it, it felt consistent in the tone of the story and in the tone of the characters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no, that was, pretty, that was pretty good. Also, the last thing I'll say is I, I liked at the very end of the credits when they had the little like, um, oh, can you do a musical about distribution? Like, I thought that was fun. And uh, I think Liz should make that movie one day. Well, Liz cool. should absolutely make that song. <laughs> absolutely. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I didn't catch it the first time, but then when I watched it the second time, I'm like, I want to see maybe, like, the credits always tell you so much more about the production and at the very end. Um, I enjoyed that part. And I knew, again, it's very on brand for Liz. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, Ritesh, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about Liz's film. I think this is, um, you know, I don't know. I hope people enjoy it. And, and like, you know, putting us in the hot seat for once, I think is good. I hope I hope I wasn't. I hope I was constructive. And I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I told Liz, like, I don't like shitting on. I don't like tearing things to shred <laughs> because I don't know how to do it necessarily. So. Right. No, I think it was very constructive, and uh, I'm I'm really curious to hear what you said about my movie. <laughs> and you don't have to tell me now. <laughs> I'll I'll wait to listen to the episode. <laughs> so, uh, guess what, Liz? You've got mail. You've got mail. My breath catches in my chest until I hear three little words. You've got mail. We do have mail. We have an iTunes review. And um, it came on the heels of another iTunes review, so it's just been a thrilling month. Um, this one is from June 15th from username Hey from Hawaii, and they write, Relatively new listener, just a few months in and quickly digging my way through the back catalog of this show, which has quickly become my favorite filmmaking podcast. So much insightful information from indie filmmakers at all levels of their careers. Thanks, Liz. Ulrich. <laughs> Uh, five stars. Thank you so much. Hey from Hawaii. Hey from Los Angeles. Hey from Oakland. Thank you. No. Hey from Vallejo. Oh, Vallejo. No. Shit. Yeah. Vallejo. I, I I leveled up, you know, just you so, you know, get, got to a better a better town than Oakland. <laughs> Case about I, Oakland. I actually think Oakland's cooler than Vallejo is. Is that oh, not true? Really? No, I'm just <laughs> Of course it is. Oakland's way cooler. I didn't know if that was obvious. I didn't know what the it joke was. It was a joke. Was. That's okay. the joke. If you know anything, Vallejo is like the butt of all jokes in the Bay Area. Um, but actually, it really right. rocks very, very hard. Yeah, obviously. Um, yep. You know, so, yeah, it's it's an unknown secret. It's like you come here and you're like, oh, wow, this place is yeah. really cool and uh, and quiet. And it's not, it no is a little there. weird, yeah. but it's, hey, there's people here. There's people. There's chickens. There's chickens. Definitely chickens. Um, yeah, well, thank you, from Hey from Hawaii. I really appreciate the sweet review. Um, it's really nice that, you know, we got new listeners coming in and digging through the back catalogs um, of episodes. I've been actually thinking lately, and we talked a little bit about this offline a while ago, but um, a lot of podcasts, they're smarter than us. And what they do is they make their back catalogs, um, you know, premium. So, like, you have to pay to right. listen to old episodes. Right. Um like, I think Just Shoot It, not Just Shoot It, sorry. I think um, Script Notes, they have, like, the, the last 20 up. Mm -hmm. And then if you want the other ones, you have to pay, like, 2 bucks or 5 bucks or something. Uh, it's like you can pay $2 a month or you can spend, like, 20 bucks to get, like, a YouTube drive with, like, a YouTube drive, a, a USB drive with all the episodes on. Um, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. So I was thinking about doing that, but I don't know, Liz, what do you think? Do you think that we, that's something we should do? Or do you think we should just leave all 300 plus episodes free for people to listen to forever? 
Well, okay, my capitalist mind and my I like battling minds right now because <laughs> I'm very biased. Um, I think the best episodes are the more recent ones. I think we just keep getting Ooh. better and better. Mm, uh, that doesn't mm. mean I think we should monetize those. I just feel like um, I'm just thinking about that. Like I think that makes sense. Like if we offer our premium content for free and then we say there's supplementary amazing episodes that you can pay for that makes sense mm, um mm. the other but my capital yeah so my capitalist mind is pro but i think i do think the show has changed a lot so when people say that they go through the back catalogs i always go like that must be a trip to like hear the beginning <laughs> episodes and then see where we are now which is not necessarily better or worse it's just very different um, I'm now yeah. just talking just to hear my own voice. Yes, that sounds great. Let's do it. Well, because like the first 20, there's no guests. <laughs> it's just Timothy and I for 20 episodes. Yeah. And then we do, we start having guests. And then I think it's not till like episode 40 or 50 when we like actually have guests like every time. And then we still sprinkle in solo episodes throughout, you know, basically. Um, but yeah, but with us, like, I think we've done like, what, two solo episodes in the whole time that we've been doing it together? Well, and then maybe? also the format, like, you know, someone Facebook friended me today and they're like, can I send you my short film? And I was like, is this, is this for Get Shorty? Like, I, then I was like, can I use the phrase Get Shorties if someone else would know what that is? Like, is that a known <laughs> entity? Um, we have these little segments that are very different from how the show used to be run. So yeah. It'll be a trip for anyone to see that evolution. Yeah, definitely. And I think I've grown as a filmmaker through this process. And, uh, you know, no one even knows who Timothy is anymore. So, like, it's a whole new person uh, that they'll be introduced to <laughs> who, like, has his own arc through through the whatever 200 plus episodes that we did together. Like, you know, he kind of goes like this and then that. And then I go like, I don't know, like this maybe. I'm not sure what happens. But anyways, um he, he quit filmmaking, people. That's the bottom line, is that he, we did 280 yeah. episodes of this this show, and it was supposed to be the chronicling of us making our, our first feature films, and I made mine, and he quit filmmaking. <laughs> that, so. that happened. That's what's so interesting, right? It's like, do people wa listen to this, and then they're like, yeah, I get it. I get it. I get Tim. Let's right. See. Yeah. No, I think, I think some people probably do. Some people probably yeah. understand that it's like, oh, this is, that was better for him. And he's got other things he wants to focus on, other things that are important in his life. And for Ulrich, it's like he's still chugging along, doing it, living the dream. And, you know, I, I honestly think it's a lot to do with like loving the journey, you know? Um, and I think like that was something I always asked myself um, when I was, before I even made my first short film, Strange Thing, I was like, well, I'm going to make this thing. If I have a good time making it and I enjoy the experience, then I'm going to try to make a feature. That was like sort of the, the thing. Or if it works out in a way where I feel like it was a, a good overall holistic experience where I don't hate the movie, I don't hate myself, <laughs> and I had fun doing the whole thing, then I'll take the next step. And then basically at, at the end of Strange Thing, I felt that way. I was like, oh, okay, this was good. Like, I'm ready for the next step. And then, you know, f four or five short films later, I finally made my, my first feature. It just took me a, a lot longer than I thought it was going to. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that was time well spent also to like go yeah. through that. I was listening to the Myron Kirstein episode yesterday on my hike and he said something that really resonated. Uh, we asked him like, I don't, I don't know what we asked him. We asked him something really interesting and compelling. And he said something <laughs> about enjoy the process. And then 
I like had this idea. I was like, I'm going to put something on my wall that I stare at every single day that says enjoy the process. Because mm-hmm. I think I'm so about the destination. I'm obsessed with it. I work in distri- distribution. <laughs> All I think about is the destination. And I've been thinking about this horror short that I'm doing this summer. And I get giddy thinking about like the pus and the in the decrepit makeup and the prosthetics that I'm going to put on my lead. I'm like so excited to see someone's face ooze. And I forgot that's the process too. Like it's oh, not, yeah. it's not a means to an end. So I'm like, Oh, I'm going to have a lot of fun designing this effect. And I'm going to have a lot of fun casting instead of just like getting it done. Um, so I'm learning, right. I'm relearning how to enjoy the process again too. Yeah, it, it was interesting. Like in my my uh, whatever two hour back and forth uh, text with Oren the other night from Just Shoot It, it's like we we're all arguing about like, oh yeah, well you know, is it worth making a two hundred fifty thousand dollar feature? Like you should just raise money. Like you can't make a movie that's good really at that with that amount of money. And like if you do, like no one's gonna see it. Who cares? And like you know, in that whole interaction of that we were having, it was very clear that like he was not thinking about process. You know, or if he was like the process of making a $250,000 movie is disgusting to him or he doesn't think it's or too has any value. Maybe his mind Maybe. Just is so in, in like he it can't the, the ideas he have cannot be contained to that budget level. I think what also happens is when you like work on commercials that have like, you know, whatever, half a million dollar budgets or more or whatever, yeah. it's like you get into this groove where it's like you need that same equivalent for your art. And it's like, you know, that's just what you what you need. And it's I don't know. That's fine. You know, I get that. But, um, you know, like I, I just think about the storytelling aspect of it and like working with actors and working with crew. And like that's the same wonderfulness, no matter what budget you have. You just it's just the scale changes, you know. Yeah. But you're but even like like when I was just I was telling you like I was just doing my ADR last week for the alternate and just directing my actor in New York through Zoom and like having him do the lines that fit into the movie. Yeah. It's like that was so much fun, and it's like fun. if I get enjoyment from like just directing ADR, like of course I'm gonna get enjoyment from like working with a five person crew making an indie feature in Vallejo. Why why wouldn't I? You know, um, I sent my script for the short to my friend Greg. He may listen to the podcast. I don't know. And mm. he came up with like a ton of jokes that were amazing. <laughs> and that even that was like, oh, my God, you just made this so much better. And it's more funny. And it's I finally understood the value of collaboration because usually I'm like, mm-hmm just write it to be done just write it but then I was like oh and then what if we did this and then what if we did this um Uh, so yeah I think we're of the same mind in that and it's not for everyone the process is not for everyone yeah totally um I had something else to say but I forget it what I forget what it was um but I think it was basically just like yeah uh oh (laughs) I was gonna say that um this, this sort of ties back into the conversation we were having a, a couple months ago or a month ago about Jen McGowan. It's like, you know, oh, you want to be a backyard filmmaker? Fine, fine by you. Go ahead and do that. And it's like, well, I feel like there's nothing wrong with that. Like, enjoy the backyard filmmaking. Enjoy making things on a low budget, you know? And, like, that's where you get started and that's where you discover your craft, discover who you are, get better at filmmaking. Like, that was another thing I, I didn't really t- say to Oren, but it's like, I want to get better at it. 
Yeah. And like, you can't get better at it if you don't do it, you know? Like, yeah. I'm not going to get a, become a better filmmaker if I spend like two years trying to fundraise and attach cast and, you know, raise $5 million or $2 million or whatever. Like, I'm not going to become a better filmmaker. But Unless if I make, you're doing that while you're making something else. Right, right. But if I make like a low budget feature, like even if it's under $250,000, whatever, like $50,000, like I'm going to get better at directing through that experience, you know, and like yes. be more ready to tackle the, you know, $5 million feature or a million dollar feature or whatever the, the next big amount of money I can get, you know, so. I, I do want to yeah. give one caveat to that, which is I'm sure. on the Joe Bob week where it's v- VHS week. I don't know if you passed that week. Maybe you watched it a month ago or something. It w- it's from no. a month ago. So in Joe Bob's drive-in, um, he's doing VHS week. So they're films shot on video camcorders with like very little latitude in terms of light. Like mm. it just, they look real horrible. Um, and they're made for like zero dollars. And, and the filmmaker from this movie, um, Sledgehammer, which is... Um, look, I'm not. I'm going to withhold my opinion of the film. Uh, is uh, <laughs> he made 50 of these movies, and I wow. think there's like a point where it's like you do want to level up. You do. Oh, I think you yeah, do yeah. want to get out of your lane eventually, as long as you're having fun. But I also think you should always be um, co- uh, cog- cog- uh, aware, cognizant. cognizant yeah. Thank you, cognizant of the fact that you could get stuck. And you could get pigeonholed. So you need to practice while you're leveling up, leveling up, making relationships, networking, trying to right. get to name cast eventually. I'm just, I just want to recognize that this guy seems like he got stuck in these VHS movies, and that really is a fear of mine. Um, that's all. Yeah, I mean, we see a lot. You know, like there's a lot of filmmakers that we've had on the show and that we both know who get stuck in this this low budget um, feature world. You know, where they just make yeah. one low-budget feature after another low-budget feature, and then there is no trajectory. And then they, they say things like they want to direct Marvel movies, and it's like, well, like, you know, you're not really going on that path, yeah. you know, right now. And, and it's like, I think part of that path is, like, is, is, is sadly, it involves festivals and it involves acclaim. And you representation know? And, like, and all those things. Even yeah, if it does exactly. nothing for you, it, it's a badge of honor in this ridiculous world. Right. So if you're, like, kicking out movie after movie for um, Mar Vista or whatever, like, that's probably not going to help you. But if you're making, like, low-budget features that, like, are having the chance at, at getting a fan base, mm-hmm. you know, or, like, you know, screening at one of the top-tier uh, genre film festivals like I think yeah. that's gonna have way more yes. value for you than yeah just making like or a, a magnet movie whatever like I don't know if you knew magnet releasing but doing like or or whatever Maverick these these like low budget uh, you know distributors just doing those movies over and over again it's like that's you're just gonna be in that world but that's like if you have zone. a chance yeah. of breaking through that world like out to like you know whatever like getting on shutter or something like that you know like that's that's what you want so um this has been fun liz i like this little conversation (laughs) well if you want to be like our original commenter who spun this out a little bit um hey from hawaii you can leave us a review on itunes or if that's too much, you can send us a question, comment, or suggestion to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. And if you really like the show, or if you just nominally enjoy the show, you can always support the show on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash M-M-I-H podcast, and give whatever you can. Uh, thanks in advance. And then finally, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at M-M-I-H podcast, and YouTube at Making Movies is Hard podcast. 
And then thanks for everyone for listening. And thanks to Craig Moss for coming on the show. And to Sam Anya. Anya? Anya. And thanks to Sam Anya from Katrina Juan PR for setting up this interview. Uh, You can check out our website at makingmoviesishard.com where you can think, find things that we talked about on previous episodes. Um, maybe one day this episode will be on there. Actually, I came up with a plan, Liz, of how to do this, of how to like just get them all. I'm just going to do a super down and dirty version. Yeah. Just get all the episodes up and, yeah. then, and then catch up. Yeah. So uh, while I'm uh, you know helping my, my wife with our new baby, maybe I'll be typing away at the computer. I don't know. We'll see. See how that Pri- works. Probably. Prioritize. This is not as important. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. And then uh, thanks to editor Cameron for doing the editing, edit, editing, editing. Thank you, Cameron. You're the man. Uh, and thanks again for everyone for listening. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Did Did you play many film festivals with this, or what was the end result of this short? Um like five but i only applied to like 10 i think i can i can find out that's a really good uh good ratio then i'll go i'll look it up um, (laughs) you can't can't be proud of it nothing i'm proud of nothing ever um (laughs) but i'll i'll look at you'll win an oscar one day you'll be like yeah i didn't deserve it whatever (laughs) i threw it away in the garbage who cares um (laughs) i can just see that kind of happening um true yeah